0: Or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So, if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now: expressvpn.com/ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com/ringslore. expressvpn.com/ringslore to learn more. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. We don't want the orcs or the werewolves to know that we're here, we're inside Sauron's dungeon. This is the very same tower that Finrod built, that Sauron took during the Battle of Seven Flame. And in this tower, in the deep recesses of it, Sauron has created uh, an area for prisoners. Yeah, that's, that's them in the background there. But this also includes Finrod and Baron, who have been tossed into this dungeon after Finrod tried to stand against Sauron and failed. If you remember from the last episode, it ended with a poem, which I said might have been the most epic rap battle in history. Sauron broke Finrod's portrayal of the things that are good in this world by using the kinslaying against him. But this is only the first of three prisons that we will come across in this episode. And this one is horrifying. Don't get me wrong. During Finrod and Baron's time here the rest of their companions, the group of 13 of them is whittled down to two because Sauron is feeding their companions to the werewolves one by one trying to get them to reveal their purpose and he can tell that this specific elf that Finrod here who he does not know his name is one of the greatest of the Noldor. So he keeps him alive in order to try to understand who he is and what his purpose is. And Baron is left alive as well. He's the only human in the group. And Tolkien's work is so dense with interesting plot twists and beautiful and terrible things that we're going to go from a place like this, this horror show of a dungeon to beautiful places as well, even though this is only one piece of the greater story. We will see betrayal and honor, horror and beauty. And just because our story today starts here, in Sauron's dungeon, doesn't mean that that's the main focus of today. During the time that Finrod and Baron are interred here, Luthien starts to realize that something probably went wrong. Althian becomes stir crazy. She realizes that this situation is impossible. And almost like she was tied into the events, then this happens with characters in these stories. From the time that Sauron cast Baron into the pit, she had this what is called in the story a weight of horror that comes upon her. She goes to Melian in order to seek counsel. About what to do, because if you recall the whole confrontation with Baron and Thingol, her father, in that confrontation, Melian was the one who seemed to be the most willing to help. Melian knows at this point, or at least she can tell somehow through the magic of the Maiar, that Baron is in the dungeons of Tol in Gorhoff without any hope of rescue. And these are the words that Tolkien uses. Can you imagine being Luthien in this moment? This man who you've suddenly fallen in love with, who has been doomed by your father to seek out a Silmaril from Morgoth, is already captured, is already with the enemy. Can you imagine the torture and the horror that she must be imagining at this moment? So she decides that she must do something. And so she seeks out the aid of anyone who would be willing to help her. And she goes to Darren, who she thought would be somebody who could help. But Darren, remember Darren, the one who was watching her through the trees, the one who noticed the encounter, the first encounter between her and Baron, the one who was holding affection for her and probably one of the most negative versions that you could use the word affection. He betrays her because, and this is the way the story puts it. He would not deprive Luthien of the lights of heaven, lest she fail and fade and yet would restrain her. So, and the words are odd here. He caused a house to be built. He didn't build the house, He caused a house to be built, which I assume means that through workers and servants, built a house. One which she could not escape from. This is the next prison that we see. We're told that in the northern part of the kingdom, there are these enormous beech trees. And there was one in particular which was the largest in the forest, Hiralarn. Kirilorn had three trunks, equal in girth, smooth in rind, and exceedingly tall. This is another one of those things I love about Tolkien. He knew his plants, he knew his trees. How many times in The Lord of the Rings does he even mention the types of trees and plants on the side of the path that they were going down? These trees were tall and without branches for a great height. The picture we get here is that these are the kinds of trees that you don't just climb without some sort of tools in order to bite into the bark. This was a perfect place to build a little treehouse to put a princess. Now, it doesn't say it in the Silmarillion, but the assumption here is that he has the approval of King Thingol because he uses. King Thingol's servants in order to get this done. The other thing that's notable in this is that it starts to sound a lot like a fairy tale all of us know, Rapunzel. And this doesn't happen a lot, at least not in this direct relation kind of way in Tolkien's works. You actually see a lot of this in the Witcher series, for example, that series Andrei Sakovsky takes a lot of these kinds of fairy tales from Eastern and Western European lore and myth and works them into his version of the world. This is one of the few times that Tolkien does this in a very direct kind of way, because Luthien is put up in this tower in a tree, which would be an elven tower, right? Like, I mean, sure, elves can build stone towers and things like that, but... A little house up tall in a tree is a very elven kind of thing to do. And she was only visited on occasion by the guards when they would need to bring her her things, some food, whatever supplies she needed. She was taken care of. But she was bound there. This was her new home. This was her jail cell in order to keep her from running off to certain doom. But Luthien is an amazing character. She is not going to let anybody stop her from achieving what she's going to achieve. She comes up with a way to get out of this house. And it is is—it is very interesting. It's very Rapunzel-like, but Tolkien at the same time. I'll read you the passage from the Silmarillion. It says, It is told in the Lay of Lethean how she escaped from the house in Hyrolorn. For she put forth her arts of enchantment and caused her hair to grow to great length. And of it she wove a dark robe that wrapped her beauty like a shadow, and it was laden with a spell of sleep. Of the strands that remained she twined a rope, and she let it down from her window. And as the end swayed above the guards that sat beneath the house, they fell into a deep slumber. Then Luthien climbed from her prison and shrouded in her shadowy cloak, she escaped from all eyes and vanished out of Doriath. I love the imagery we get of Luthien because she is not a golden-haired princess in a tower with all of the traits that you would assume go with that kind of princess she was dark-haired her eyes were gray she was first encountered at night she was called a nightingale by baron she represents in some ways the beauty of night and you have to remember go back to the early episodes of this podcast The elves dwelt most of their time historically, before the coming of the sun, in the night, with the stars. Luthien is like the apex of that natural beauty, the natural beauty of nighttime. And maybe this is me projecting onto Tolkien's work, because I know how important the characters of Beren and Luthien are to him. But there's something magical about the evenings. There's something magical about staying up late. We most likely, as humans, when you ask somebody to go on a date, an official sounding date, not just like going to get brunch or something like that, a real date when it really matters, you take them to dinner. You go out and see a show at night. You do these things in the evenings. The evenings are these magical moments where our minds start to relax. And there's something beautiful and romantic about that. It's also the time of sleep. Her natural magic is built around this relaxation, this enchantment, and then also the ability to put others to sleep. I feel like when Tolkien was designing the Maiar and the Valar, he was tapping into these fundamental qualities of the world and fundamental qualities of what it means to be a person and the nature of humanity or elf-manity, I guess you could say. Because you have characters like Ulmo and the management of the seas and, and the power and the majesty and and the, the just sheer on a scale of it, right? But then you also have characters like Nienna and compassion and grief and these qualities as well. It's, it's almost like Luthien is on a scale with those characters and you have to remember she's the daughter of a Maiar. So she might very well be in some sense a representation of the beauty of night and of relaxation and sleep. And I have to wonder, I I haven't read anything specific about it, but I have to wonder if maybe even in Tolkien's subconscious mind, or intentionally, that was the design of the character. So she manages to escape this house in the trees. And she heads off in the direction she is pretty sure that Baron would have gone. And off into the woods she goes. And for the second time in this story, she comes across somebody and asks for their help, only to be betrayed. Alright, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where I get to thank our patrons for being awesome and supporting this show. Thank you so very much for being here. And we've got a bunch of new patrons to shout out. Let's start with Chris B, uh, Charlotte A, Dylan S, Matthew S, Heath B, Pasquale G, Haddon W and Guy G. Thank you so much to all of you. You guys are amazing. I really do appreciate the support and thank you for tuning into the show and just being here. I, this community is awesome. You guys are amazing. I love seeing your questions posted on the discord and then also the posts on the Patreon from our patrons. If you want to be part of that, you just have to head over to patreon.com slash L O T R Lorecast. There's a link in the show notes underneath wherever you're listening just go look at the description stuff there's a bunch of other ways that you can engage with the community and and get to the patreon and all that kind of stuff also i get to shout out our current vip patrons that includes brad c chris d esoteric rage larry and tristan p thank you so much for the extra support you guys are amazing and then uh we've got a total now of uh 72 72 total patrons and you guys uh, I, I I was I was hoping that this show could build an audience when I started it and I was like well there's I mean it's a very crowded kind of topic right there's a lot of shows that already existed in this space for a long time will people even find it and over the last few weeks the answer is a resounding yes there are a lot of listeners now so thank you so much for tuning in if you want to help out the show continue to grow, then leaving a review and a rating on your platform that you listen to it on like uh, Apple podcast or Spotify would be awesome on Apple. I'm able to kind of follow all the different uh, reviews that get posted internationally. I've got a an app that I can use to do that, and we don't have any new ones this week. But if you would like to leave some words with a five star rating. Then I will read it out on a future episode of the show. Get your words on the show. It's just a, a way to say thanks. Also, if if you really like the show and you want to share it with your friends and family, that would be amazing as well. So I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for the huge support. Oh, and also thank you to those of you who have been coming by the live stream. twitchtv slash robots radio. That's where I hang out and play games in order to just chat with the community and and get to meet a lot of you guys. So come on by. Hang out. All right. I'm going to stop eating up your time in the middle of the show. Let's move on with the rest of the story about Luthien. So wouldn't you know, while Luthien is fleeing out into the forest, two characters that we've already talked about happened to be on a hunt because there have been lots of wolves out in the wilderness. Kelligorm and Kurufin, the two brothers, the two sons of Feanor who were vying for control over Nargothrond, happened to be out in the woods. And they also uh, were kind of looking for any, any word about what happened to Finrod, hoping maybe to find something out. And like many hunters, they brought with them their hounds, including what some people would refer to as the best boy in all of Tolkien's literature, Huon. Huon is a hound from Valinor. Huon came with Kelligorm across the sea to Middle-earth, to Beleriand. And he wasn't just a regular hound. He was a hound that was bred and raised in Valinor. And at this point was hundreds of years old. There was a special magic inside Huon. And I love this. I love that Tolkien would design a dog. And make that dog as awesome as you're going to learn that Huon is. So things go basically the way you would expect them to. Keligorm and Karufin are resting from the hunt. They're relaxing, and the dogs are staying aware of anything that would be moving around. And Huan, we are told, can see and hear everything. And out in the woods, Luthien is getting close, and Huan alerts them to her presence. Even though at this point she still wrapped herself in this cloak of her hair, that she's using to mask her appearance to the world. Huon can still detect her. And she throws back this cloak, we're told, and comes out of it looking like she normally would without all the crazy hair magic around her. And introduces herself to Kelegorm and Karufin and can tell that they are of the Noldor and that they might be helpful to her. And they speak fair with her. And tell her, of course, why don't you come back to Nargothrond with us, and we'll see what we can do to help you out. But of course, that's not what they want to do. They don't want to save Baron, They don't want to help Finrod. They want to control Nargothrond and any of the lands that they can get their hands on in order to become as powerful as they can in order to try to get the Silmarils back from Morgoth. So we're told in the text that they broke off the hunt and returned to Nargothrond, and Luthien was betrayed, for they held her fast and took away her cloak, and she was not permitted to pass the gates or to speak with any save the brothers. For now, believing that Baron and Feligand, Finrod, were prisoners beyond hope of aid, they purposed to let the king perish— and to keep Luthien, and force Thingol to give her the mightiest of Princes of the Noldor. What I get from this is that they decided that this was a wonderful gift to fall into their laps, and would make a wonderful connection between these two houses if she was forced to marry one of them. So for a second time, she's locked away in a room where she cannot leave. And this time, she can't use her hair magic in order to descend out of a window or something to the ground. But she soon finds that she has a regular visitor to her door. Huon, the hound, was true of heart, and the love of Luthien had fallen upon him in the first hour of their meeting. Even the heart of a hound can be swayed by the beauty of Of Luthien. And he grieved at her captivity, therefore he came often to her chamber. And at night he lay before her door, for he felt that evil had come to Nargothrond. Huon is smart. He is one of the representations of a dog like character that is intelligent and smart. Much like the wargs are shown from the enemy's perspective. In the movies and shows, they're often showed as these large dog-like beasts who don't show any higher signs of intelligence. They're just scary monsters. But that's not true. In Tolkien's works, the wargs had an intelligence. They could communicate. Many of them could talk. They had a society all their own, and they agreed to work with the orcs. They weren't necessarily the dogs owned by the orcs and managed by them they were their own group their own society so the idea that a dog like huan may have been manipulated into some sort of dark creature like a warg might actually have some merit but huan is the other side of that and he can speak but we're told he's only granted that ability three times this is one of them because he comes to Luthien's door and decides that he's not going to take up with Kurufin and Celegorm anymore. That this has become evil. And Luthien speaks to him. We're told that she spoke often to Huan in her loneliness. That time goes by here. And she tells him of Beren, who was the friend of all birds and beasts that did not serve Morgoth. And Huan understood all that was said, for he comprehended the speech of all things with voice. Huon is Tolkien's version of a man's or a woman's, or an elf woman's, best friend. He is the goodest boy, <laughs> as in internet terms, right? And of course, Tolkien's words are the best here. It says, now Huan de- devised a plan for the aid of Luthien, and came at a time of night, he brought her cloak... And for the first time, he spoke, giving her counsel, basically explaining like, here's what we're going to do, and here's how I'm going to help you. Then he led her by secret ways out of Nargothrond, and they fled north together in the direction that they would need to go, basically. And he humbled his pride and suffered her to ride upon him in the fashion of a steed, even as the orcs did at times upon great wolves. Thus they made great speed, for Huan was swift and tireless." So for the second time, Luthien has escaped her prison, and is now back headed towards Beren in order to try to save him, because as far as she knows, he is still captured. And we're not given a specific time frame for how long this takes. But you can imagine that from the beginning of this episode, the construction of a house, her being stuck in the house, figuring out how to get out, traveling through the woods, getting to Nargothrond, the time she spent there. It must be at least weeks, probably months, that Baron and Finrod have been suffering in Sauron's prison, in the very tower that Finrod built himself that has now been corrupted into this dark and terrible place. And then the focus of the camera pans back to that prison. And this is what we're told. In the pits of Sauron, Baron and Feligand lay, and all their companions were now dead. But Sauron proposed to keep Felagund to the last for he perceived that he was a Noldo of great might and wisdom, and he deemed that in him lay the secret of their errand. But when the wolf came for Baron, Feligand put forth all his power. The werewolf that was watching over them was slowly eating away each of their companions, one by one, and Baron would have been the second last to be killed. But Finrod steps up, puts himself between this werewolf and Baron. And we're told that Felgen put forth all his power and burst his bonds. And he wrestled with the werewolf and slew it with his hands and teeth. Yet he himself was wounded to the death. In the TV show, The Rings of Power, we see Finrod's body and Galadriel mourning his death. And on the arm of that body, you can see claw marks like a wolf. And this is where we get the like dying monologue of the scene, right? This is very Shakespearean in a way. We have Finrod Feligand speaking to Baron in this moment of his death. And he says, I go now to my long rest in the timeless halls beyond the seas of... And the mountains of Amman. It will be long ere I am seen among the Noldor again, and it may be that we shall not meet a second time in death or life, for the fates of our kindreds are apart. And remember this from the early episodes the elves go to the halls of Mandos, where they are rebodied in some cases, and they live in Valinor re-created in a way until the end of the world and when the world ends they go away too but men go somewhere we know not they leave this plane of existence potentially to exist with Iluvatar eternally and that's one of the great differences between men and elves the elves are tied to the world and they are Eternal in the sense of living forever, even after death, to the full length and lifetime of Arda. But men are tied to something beyond that. And Finrod knows this. And he knows that they might never meet again. And then his final word is farewell. He died then in the dark in -in Tol-in-Gorhoth whose great tower he himself had built. Thus King Finrod Feligan, fairest and most beloved of the House of Finway, redeemed his oath, but Baron mourned beside him in despair. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, The Witcher lore cast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories, community, just press play.